my friends, the great experiment. What's the matter, Sam? She too much for you? Hit it. Trink, trink. Would you look at that? The greatest trink, trink. Two people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star trink, trink. The greatest trink, trink, trink. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. It's not a Star Trek podcast today, Adam. It's a Cheers podcast. That's right. Only loosely related to Star Trek today. We're in the middle of our spring break period on Greatest Trek. It's where we're doing deep dives into the careers of our favorite Star Trek actors. And today's special actor feature is Kate Mulgrew. Yeah. She has a three-episode arc that forms kind of the final chapter of season four of Cheers. Mm -hmm. Big, exciting stuff. It's a show notably with uh, 14 seasons and 37 episodes a season. It is (laughs) a fucking monster of a show. There's so much Cheers. If if you want to watch some Cheers, there's plenty. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there really is. You pitched me this idea. You were like, I have been watching Cheers quite a bit as a comfort show, and I thought that was charming to know about. But you were also like, Kate Mulgrew's in this show for a three-story arc. And I was like, how much can she possibly be in this show? And I was delighted at just how much of a character she was. Yeah, she's she is pivotal in the plot of this. It's This is right in the thick of the will-they-won't-they they of Sam and Diane. Like, mm-hmm. They have, and then they broke up, and then Diane like jilted Frasier at some point. <laughs> I was shocked by this because I am not a huge Cheers head, so I had to really uh, onboard myself pretty fast here yeah. with all the storylines, but this is a show that is pretty gentle about how much you need to know about the characters to enjoy the 22 minutes that you spend with them. That is the great thing about this show specifically and this era of show is that Mm -hmm. I don't remember what happened right before or right after this. Don't worry. They are going to find a way for a character to say it. Yeah, and I really appreciated as as we watched all three episodes just how great the show is at resetting at the beginning of every part just to make sure everyone's all caught up yeah. and the different ways that they do that. Yeah, it's, very, it's more creative than I think a lot of modern shows get with that and more artful in terms of like putting character relationships into, into the dialogue so that you understand who these people are to each other if you're just catching this for the first time. Yeah, I mean, this show does not get the benefit of a last time on, cheers, <laughs> pre-roll, you know? Th- they don't get that. They don't get it, and you don't fucking need it. <laughs> exactly. I think I need to get started on this episode, Ben, because we've got three episodes of Cheers to cover. Yeah. We're going to talk about all of them in order, starting with part one. It's Spring Break on Greatest Trek, week three, Cheers, Strange Bedfellows, parts one two, and three. And if you're trying to find those on streaming, that's season four, episodes 24, 25, and 26. You know the greatest danger facing us is irrational fear of the unknown. All mark, go fast. We open with one of our classic Cheers cold opens, Witty winning a round of Italian arm wrestling against Carla. And I'm not even Italian. <laughs> Do you know anything about the arm wrestling whisperer? Have we talked about him? 
you uh, spent some time. I think we were in Vegas, and you sp- uh, we we spent a lot of time talking about the the whispering arm wrestler. <laughs> I don't know why he became such an obsession for me and and Chuck Bryant. Also, we started watching the arm wrestling whisperer, and it's just incredibly hypnotic to watch two people shot in profile standing at that tiny desk, arm wrestling like grappling in a very (laughs) intense way and having one of the guys be like oh yeah you're strong (laughs) watch your fingers make sure you get your elbow make sure you're breathing your technique needs a little work but you've got a lot of raw talent (laughs) I couldn't help but think of him watching this Italian arm (laughs) wrestling scene poor Woody (laughs) the sound when his fist hits his own head though is a great sound. There is some really good, we should call it out over the course of this episode, just some great Foley overall yeah. in this arc of episodes. Yeah. Just a little cold open to establish that Woody is a dumb and that Carla is kind of the uh, Statler and Waldorf all in one person for this bar. This show does a really good job of not centering Woody's dumbness as its core comedy belief throughout every episode though you know like on sitcoms where the cast is smaller i feel like one of them is the dumb and that person gets a third of the story doing dumb shit right and part of it is like the cast is so big here that everyone gets their moment and it's distributed around in a way that's nice the real start of the episode is frazier after the uh, opening sequence kind of Grumping around the bar with many of the barfly regulars talking about how today is the one year anniversary of him being left at the altar by Diane. So humiliating. You know, there's a guy that really remembers his anniversary because like that would have been his anniversary date. <laughs> and he's kind of celebrating it in a in an unusual way, isn't he? To repress my bitterness would be detrimental to my recovery. There's a strange tension in the Fraser character. Some of it is just baked right into the show in that he's supposed to be like a a very important psychologist and clinical researcher, and yet he spends almost all of his time drinking himself silly in a dive bar owned by a sporto. And then the other tension, I think, is the like knowing what Frasier was on Frasier tension. And this is not that Frasier. Like he has not become his final form yet, so... Like seeing him in this way when like my introduction to Frasier as a character was the Mm -hmm. show Frasier. Yeah, mine too. There's so much incongruity between this version of Frasier and that version of Frasier that like it's almost hard to watch. (laughs) There should be a documentary about bridging that gap between the two shows. I'm sure there was a ton of work done about how to make that happen. Yeah. How to connect those dots. Ben, I don't have a lot of source material to go off of to make a statement like this, but that hasn't stopped me before. (laughs) I like Cheers because there does not seem to be a depiction of an angry drunk. Like everyone's gathered around drinking, but fundamentally they all seem to be like, Frazier has a reason to be angry, but he's not. He's just sort of uh, sad, funny. And that seems to be as dark as the drinking goes for people. Is that more or less accurate given... You know, how many more episodes you've seen? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, like, 
Frazier is not angry because he's drunk. He's drinking because he's angry. Yeah, yeah. I would say that the only character that I can think of off the top of my head that has a drinking problem is Sam. Uh And Sam doesn't drink (laughs) because of that. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the show was really pitched on like, it's a guy who owns a bar and he doesn't drink. And TV executives in like 1983 or whatever were like, sold in the room. <laughs> the bartender doesn't drink. How is he supposed to know the quality of his cocktails? <laughs> this is like like almost every bar owner that John Taffer interacts with is in fact like a raging alcoholic that yeah. is totally <laughs> drinking their business into the red. and Yeah, Truce is actually in the black because the bartender doesn't r- drink. R- right. <laughs> John Taffer wants you to be right in the middle of the bell curve. He wants you to drink right. a little bit. Uh-huh. <laughs> not to excess and not not at all. Speaking of drinking a little bit, we've got Cliff and Norm at the other side of the bar. And to me, Norm is sitting at the best spot in the bar. Yeah. Right. And Norm has that spot that like Norm and Cliff are always there. Norm is at the corner and Cliff is on the other side of the waitress stand. And they kind of like lean over those brass railings and and yammer with each other. When I go to bars, I like that spot next to the service area. Like I'm definitely not crowding it because I know that's where shit gets done. But like that is often a a seat that is unclaimed, and I'm more than happy to claim it if it means sitting at a bar instead of a table. It's kind of nice, like when you finish your drink, you can like put it right there, and yeah, you can self bust. Yes, you're you're sort of <laughs> speeding things along for them, and also getting it out of your own way. Yeah, I like it a lot. Ben, were we together when I spilled my drink into the ice at a bar in Seattle? (laughs) No, (laughs) that's a major party foul. (laughs) That was one of the the worst moments of uh, being a bar customer of my life. Like I knew exactly how bad of a circumstance that was. It means replacing all the ice. And I just made my accident someone else's problem. It sucked. (laughs) So everybody's sitting around. Uh, Diane comes in with a dude that she's been on a date with, and uh, they're kind of having a, a a sweet like end of date. Maybe uh, maybe stop in at work for a little nightcap. Except for then Sam comes in with a woman he's been on a date with, and this turns into a we had a great date contest between Sam and Diane. Yeah, it escalates from you know chased good nights to full-on makeouts and car measuring contests between them yeah 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 nice stop over on on fuel economy in the middle between <laughs> the the chased kiss good night and the makeout in front of the entire room i like the ramp up and then the immediate regret after this moment like the comedy builds and builds and crests and then it's over and then the door shuts behind them and they both like hate this like Sam wipes his mouth with a bar towel. <laughs> that was a fun detail. <laughs> yeah. And the entire bar has watched this and Carla calls them out on it. That's also fun. You know, people come here to relax and enjoy themselves. They don't want to look at that, do you? <laughs> this is sick. Carla absolutely drags everybody left and right across this whole three episode arc. Really great. This is a scene that that might be a good moment to describe the set because I really liked how the area by the door acted as a stage for people. Yeah. 
And if I look at my own notes, it's like in walks blank, in walks blank, in walks blank, <laughs> because like it is such a fun introduction to a bit every time the door opens and someone new comes in. It really is. And like they're very conscious of how the space is designed and, and well set up for that in mm-hmm. the writer's room at this point, I feel like. Do you ever go upstairs? I noticed a stairwell in the back. Yeah, so upstairs is a like seafood restaurant, and you wow. do occasionally get a shot of somebody up there, but it's usually just the like, yo, he's having dinner upstairs, or like we're having a drink before going on our date upstairs. And, That's cool. Yeah. You definitely want the seafood restaurant upstairs and not downstairs. Right, right. <laughs> There's also a pool hall in the back, like a one pool table pool room that you occasionally go to, but it's- That's what Diane was holding later on. She was holding a pool table cover. Yeah, I think so, in the eavesdropping scene. But we can't we can't talk about that yet, Adam. No, because Phil Schumacher walks in. He's the campaign manager for Janet Eldridge. Yeah, and Phil Schumacher is played by a familiar Star Trek face. If you've been watching New Trek, it's David Paymer. Yeah. Who played Dr. Moritz Benayoun, who misdiagnosed Picard with Eremotic Syndrome. Yeah. Idiot. Retroactively portrayed as a terrible doctor. (laughs) Bad job, Doc. Yeah. You blew it. You blew it. But he's playing Phil Schumacher in this, and Phil Schumacher is the campaign manager for Janet Eldritch. An old money conservative who's running for re-election on city council. Right. He asks permission from Sam to host a little Q&A inside his bar. And Sam doesn't know anything about politics. He just thinks it's fun that anyone would want to spend any time there doing that kind of thing. And once Diane gets wind of this happening, she has a lot of opinions about why this is a bad idea. You know, Diane is one of these ivory towered New England elite, you know, intellectual types who doesn't understand that old money conservatives are the ones that really have the working class's best interests at heart. There's a lot articulated by some characters about their political leanings, and it just made me think about how impossible that would be on a modern television network sitcom. You know, like this is third rail shit. Even as innocently as Diane presents her own politics or like opposes what Janet's politics are. Like, I just really don't think NBC would have a show that had characters share that about themselves anymore. It really doesn't feel like a safe space for a TV show. And you can tell that they're like very much pulling the punches. Like, I mean, not not even about it being a safe space. It just wouldn't be funny in the same way, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm all for a comedy like send up of a bad political take or whatever. Like, sure. I thought that there was a lot funny about The Daily Show back in the day when I watched it. But I think it's also kind of interestingly indicative of like how much the Overton window has moved on what constitutes the policy proposals of an old money conservative because like at one point she's talking about like making Boston have like the best public transit system in the country yeah, and stuff. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> that window flew out the window. It really did. Like that's too liberal for most Democrats now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So when we finally meet Janet, 
played by Kate Mulgrew, she is great. Yeah. And the greatness begins with her interaction with Carla. Carla, being the best verbal grappler in the bar, comes right up to her and starts tangling. Yeah. And that Janet can hang with Carla really endears Janet to us as a viewer. And when Janet meets Sam, it clearly endears herself to Sam with her her baseball fandom. I was a big fan of yours when you pitched for the Sox. I think you're just wonderful. Well, it's mutual. Oh, you're a fan of the counselors. No, I think I'm wonderful too. <laughs> she knows exactly who he is. He used to be the cleanup pitcher for uh, the Red Sox and uh, has retired from Major League Sports to open this bar. So... She's a fan. There is so much that was hilarious about what you just said, Ben. <laughs> Did I say it wrong? I don't know what a what a cleanup pitcher is, and I don't know what a major league sport is. He's the, the guy that they put in in the end. Yeah. Yeah, he's the closer. The closer. Fuck off. <laughs> I don't want you to get letters, man. Our listeners know less about sports than I do. You know what? That might be true. Yeah. All right. I will fuck off. I'm not getting letters. You get letters. <laughs> oh, boy. Sam and Janet giving each other eye jammies across the bar. Like, she's off doing her political thing, and Sam remains, and they can't take their eyes off each other. Yeah. He's pretty hot for her. Even risks kind of heckling her in the midst of her Q&A session with the press, asking her out on a date in front of God and everyone else. She kind of uh, politely roasts him instead of taking him up on this. What I won't give up for the people of this district. Thank you all, ladies and gentlemen. But then when she leaves, Phil Schumacher comes back in the bar with her business card. She's like arranged for Phil Schumacher to, to slide into Sam's DMs, essentially. It's great. It's great. I mean, you got to like Janet. And you can see a little bit of Kate Mulgrew's Janeway in Janet, in her poise and just her comfort at being the center of attention. That like leadership energy that Janeway has is a big part of the Janet Eldridge character. Yeah. And this pisses Diane off so much because obviously Diane and Sam are like madly in love with each other, but can't admit that to each other or themselves. Yeah. And so Diane's response is to go campaign for James Fleener, the guy that is running against uh, <laughs> Janet Eldridge. And uh, Frazier is so sprung for Diane that he gets involved in the James Fleener B story here. <laughs> this is a moment of Frazier that reminded me of Latter-day Frazier, of, of just how he speaks about Fleener mm -hmm. in the way that he does. <laughs> it's big fun. Really great. So like flash forward, Sam is in a tuxedo. Clearly he's been out on a couple of dates with Janet at this point. And uh, now he's like, going to some, you know, hoity-toity event with her that he has to be in black tie for. And, like, he's kind of getting ready while, you know, semi-working but hanging out behind the bar. And I think one of the other things to note about Cheers as a show is, like, one of the big games uh, of the cast is everybody is, like, really devoted to getting Sam's dick wet. Like, everybody that goes to this bar... And most of the people that work at this bar would really like to hear some of Sam's war stories about nailing babes. He's such a great storyteller. You just want to see it happen. It's better for everyone. <laughs> like, Just don't wipe your mouth with any of the bar towels. 
Carla has hopes and dreams of her own, but they are not as important to her as her desire for Sam to get his hands on some nice cassavas. Cassavas are your destiny, Sam. Cheers seems like a great place to work if you're Sam Malone. <laughs> Diane has concerns. She believes that Janet is using Sam to get votes because Sam is a man of the people. He's a sports hero. And yeah, like he he kind of uh, gives her a folksy charm and, you know, can talk to people that maybe she couldn't talk to necessarily. So he's great arm candy for her as a politician. And that's that's where Diane thinks this is all headed, that she's just using Sam. This is one of the scenes that made me notice just how great the show is about passing the conversational baton between characters. And Cheers is such a great set because it gives all the actors something to do with their hands and something yeah. to be busy with that allows them to flow in and out of these scenes in a way that feels totally natural. Everybody's always got somewhere to go or something to do. Yeah. Fraser walks in with uh, a bunch of campaign merch and he's got like a real scowl on his face. And I totally thought that the bit was going to be that they like ordered a bunch of bumper stickers and hats and they got misprinted to say whim with Jim. Yeah. That is not the bit. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it up. It's very Joycean. If that means stupid, I agree. Yeah, it's supposed to say that, <laughs> according to Diane. <laughs> not the greatest campaign slogan we've ever seen, but uh, Fraser does look good in his plastic hat. Yeah. He is so miserable. This poor guy. Diane in this scene articulates a real concern she has about Sam getting hurt by Janet. And she confides in Carla, of all people, about this. And Carla is on Team Dickwet, as you said before, because she doesn't see anything wrong with what's going on here. You are full of beans. Women come and women go in Sam's life. He's just having a few grins. I think what she gets close to articulating is the feeling that I had, which is like, if Sam is all about using other people for sex... The idea of him getting used doesn't seem like such a big deal. Yeah. In that kind of reversal. Where's the problem? <laughs> right. Like, Carla doesn't really care that Sam uses women, though. Like, she kind of wants Sam to use women. Yeah. And I guess by that token, she doesn't really care if he gets used because he's, like, getting something out of the deal, too. Yeah. So the confidence does not go well for Diane. No, not at all. And- if Diane thinks she's going to find allies in her cause to sort of save Sam from Janet, uh, she hasn't found one yet. Yeah. In walks Janet wearing a totally hot turquoise 80s dress. I thought for sure that the costuming in this episode, an episode that was shot in 1986, like I thought you get those like big 80s shoulders and very like, unsexy by by modern standards dresses, uh, especially like in formal wear and stuff. Right. Kate Mulgrew looks fucking hot as hell. Yeah, she looks awesome. I mean, she her shoulders are not unbig in this dress. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of ruching up there that uh, that kind of works as, as a shoulder pad. Yeah. She's there to uh, do a little bit of business in Sam's office. And uh, inside that office... Diane confronts Janet about the concerns that she shared with Carla earlier. She doesn't want Sam to get hurt by her. And Janet admits that like, yeah, you know, you're not wrong. Initially, I was kind of using Sam, but now I've kind of fallen for him. And this 
devastates Diane. Yeah, because what Janet is saying is like, I'm in the part of she's all that when this relationship is going great, but she hasn't figured out that it was a bet yet. And so, you know, like I kind of thought that there could be a play for Diane here, which is go tell Sam what she just heard. But Diane is not a calculating character in that way. She is acting out of like love for Sam and concern for Sam. And like, you know, she she definitely like wants to be with Sam in this moment, but she's not, there's no ill intent in the way she's behaving right now. She's like going directly to Janet and confronting her. And so when Janet comes back with, now I'm in love with Sam, I didn't think I was going to be, but I am. Right. It really puts her on her back heel and yeah. she can't keep pushing the issue if if that's what the deal is. There's a conversational judo happening here too, in which, you know, Janet kind of clear and present dangers Diane here when when <laughs> Diane pressures Janet about her true feelings, like that she isn't just attracted to him. She feels something deep when when she looks at him. She leaves Diane nowhere to go conversationally. It's uh, no sense defusing a bomb after it's already it's already gone off. And that's one of the most crushing things is because Diane is so skilled in conversation. You'd expect her to get one over on Janet and it never happens. It never happens in any of the three parts here. Like Janet has her pinned the entire time in a very surprising way, I think, for, for most people who would expect Diane to be the more skilled and articulate of them both. Smash cut to the campaign offices of Jim Fleener, of Jim Fleener, uh, and they're watching on like a 12-inch television set the election party, the re-election party for Janet Eldritch. This is this is terrible because basically like the gauntlet has been thrown down. Diane said like Janet Eldridge, you're you're gonna dump Sam the second you get re-election because he'll no longer be of any use to you. And now they're watching her do this acceptance speech, and uh, we're gonna see if she puts her money where her mouth is on this loving Sam issue. Yeah, it's a moment that shows Diane losing twice. She did not whim the campaign, and she did not whim this sort of bet she had. <laughs> About Sam and Janet's relationship. Yeah. So we're into episode two now, and the cold open here uh, shows a passage of time. It's a month after Janet and Sam have been dating, and Gary Hart walks into the bar to return Sam's jacket. And this is this seems like a really big moment in television because this is a moment in time where Gary Hart was extremely popular and considered by many people to be the front runner for the presidential nomination. And this is just like a drop in for him. And he's super hot politically. And like Diane totally loses it over him. Yeah. And Sam is pretty proud about having been his friend and playing Trivial Pursuit together and stuff. By the way, thanks for your help with those sports questions. Oh, wow. Well, that's that's my strong point. <laughs> Thank you for helping me with everything else. That's my strong point. Yeah. <laughs> Sam is uh, able to rub elbows with the likes of Gary Hart because of his relationship with Janet, which continues apace. Sam has been like coming around, dropping names of all the luminaries he's been meeting. The sad part of this moment is that you know where Gary Hart 
picked up his philandering <laughs> that ended up uh, cratering his political chances. Right. Yeah. He he learned it all from Sam Malone. I know. I wonder if they ever returned to that story. Yeah. I mean, I don't really trust a progressive that will will like spend personal time with an arch conservative old money type like Janet Eldridge, you know? <laughs> sure. Fun cameo in the uh, cold open anyways. Yeah, and another moment in time that seems very unlikely today. Like outside of an SNL context, right? you wouldn't get a network television show with this sort of pop in. So uh, Jim and Frazier pop into the bar for a drink. And uh, this is Jim Fleener, the politician that lost but is still wearing his whim with Jim pin around. You remember Jim Fleener portrayed by Max Wright, the dad from ALF. Do you? That's the dad from ALF? Sure is. No way. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) ALF has been on antenna cable off and on the last few weeks. And it's fucking crazy. You can see Alf walking around, like in, especially in the opening credits. Like you see his feet. You see him walking around. There's a person inside that costume. It's like that time that Kermit rode a bike. But that was a movie. This is a TV show. It's so wild. Like the difference between a puppet that someone is in versus a puppet that a hand is in, and that's Alf. Alf is a great improvement on the theme. <laughs> Alf really makes the Muppets look like shit. Yeah. The Henson Company should be fucking ashamed of themselves, frankly. <laughs> Jim is getting his balls absolutely smashed by Woody here while he pours their drinks. And Jim admits maybe the only bright spot in the whole campaign was working with Diane, and he confides his attraction in her to Frazier. Yeah, this is an unfortunate part of the episode. Fraser engages in some kind of gross transphobic coercion of Jim, which like is played as like a, oh, Fraser always does this to Diane. This isn't the first time and it won't be the last. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, it does not age well. Like this is not one of the parts of Fraser that follows him to Fraser. Right. The sensibility, luckily. I hope not. I don't remember if it does or doesn't. I've been watching a lot of Frasier at night and it hasn't come up, thank God. I was almost like, you warned me about this moment in the episode before I sat down and watched it. And when Jim turns around and is like congratulatory of Diane, I was like, wow, Jim Fleener's like pretty cool. But then he gets like really like weirded out. And I was like, ah, this episode like nearly made Jim Fleener look ahead of his time in terms of being a cis dude that was just like totally accepting of somebody's unconventional identity in the 80s. Yeah, man. It is unfortunately 86 about some things, right? Yeah. So uh, Frazier is a bad person. He's as bad a person as his cardigan is bad looking. Pretty tight as a fit to this cardigan, yeah. I thought. Yeah. It's a bad color for him. I don't like that it's all matchy-matchy with his tie. Cardigan in a bar seems pretty formal until Sam and Janet walk in in full-on formal wear. Yeah. Sam thought he could freelance the the bow tie at a black tie event. That ain't it, Sam. That that <laughs> it means black tie, buddy. Yeah, that's not sprezzatura that uh-huh. you think it is, Sam. Yeah. So uh, Sam is uh, at Janet's request here to swap into a grow grain black tie and. Uh, 
she's going to have a glass of white wine while uh, while he's getting changed. So uh, this is an opportunity for Sam and Diane to have a little little conversation. He's talking about kind of getting used to uh, putting on the monkey suit more and more often. Yeah. You know, I never realized until now just how appropriate that nickname is. Yeah, and this scene, like so many others, happens in front of Diane. And that's part of what makes her pain feel so real because like, it's not just that they're attracted to each other and they can't be together. It's that Sam plays out his good fortune in front of her so publicly, you know? And it's a type of story that a lot of half-hour comedies have done. Yeah. You know, in the workplace especially. And it makes me wonder, you know, this is not the progenitor of that type of story, but it is extremely well told. In a future where we get a Captain Seven of Nine and Raffi Musiker as number one Mm -hmm. on the new Enterprise. The Enterprise grandpa. (laughs) I I hope they do a little bit of that, you know? Yeah. Like, oh man, Raffi's stepping out and (laughs) Seven is super jealous. Poor Diane, like, tries to rise to the level of being like, oh, cool, that's that's all right that you get a date. I have a date too. And Woody, just on a fucking rampage of ball smashing, is like, oh, yeah, your date actually called and uh, and bailed on tonight. Sorry. It's not like I went out and spent $312 on a new dress. <laughs> then you'd really feel dumb. <laughs> Woody as an instrument of terror is... So interesting to me because like Woody as dumb kind of deadens the real cruelty he's able to dole out to people and himself, I guess. Right. He's such an interesting technology as a character. Yeah. He can really do a lot of things for you. He really can. He's like as harsh as Carla often, but it never comes from the kind of like stabby energy that Carla has. Yeah. It, it's always a like a rube that kind of doesn't know that he's speaking an uncomfortable truth out loud. I think he's related to the concept of drunk but not an- angry drunk, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so uh we also introduce a sort of B slash C storyline about Norm having um Vera's younger sister visiting the house. Uh, Donna. Hot Donna. And Donna is a, is a very like oversexed character. And Norm keeps like getting into kind of sexually awkward situations with his sister-in-law. Right. Doing sexy stuff around the house. And uh, Cliff, very interested in these stories. Definitely like trying to find a way to get invited over to Norm's house right now. Cliff is so interesting to me because like as the archetype, like he's the know-it-all character at the bar but he's also the type of person you encounter in school that says they know all about sex but really know nothing about it right when it really comes down to it and like his advice uh, just like a bag of sand diane (laughs) yeah like his advice for norm is so absurd at all times (laughs) in this way because he doesn't know what he's talking about i know just what to do we'll uh, try a little acu clavin on it yeah I love Cliff. Cliff is my favorite character on Cheers. <laughs> so meanwhile, we're back with Kate Mulgrew and Janet has taken a moment with Diane to kind of spike the football about Sam. She's like, you know, you never believed we'd make it. And now, several months into this relationship, 
We have. I'm not dumping him at all. He made me a bathtub, and I got in that bathtub, baby. Yeah. It's nice to see uh, Kate Mulgrew. Like, you see her with Sam, and you can kind of fantasize what Janeway would be like in a relationship Mm -hmm. a little bit. You can see it. Yeah. This is what Tom Mervins fell in love with. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Is this another love me, love my dog demand? Yes. How could I ever refuse you? Thanks, honey. It's another moment where Janet wins a conversation with Diane. Yeah. Over and over again, this happens. So she and Sam split, and Diane kind of slumps down at one of the tables in the bar, and Fraser comes over with a glass of whiskey rocks, and uh, they're going to commiserate about being the two people in the bar lamenting the one that got away. Welcome to the Losers Club, baby. As ugly as the previous moment was with Frasier and Jim, I think this moment between Frasier and Diane really models some good behavior. Like, Diane hurt Frasier terribly, and yet they're able to coexist and care about each other, and I feel like this is a good moment between them. Yeah, he's comforting her in a way that doesn't feel loaded, like he's doing it with an ulterior motive or something. Right. He's accepted that they're not going to be together. Yeah. Even if he wishes that wasn't true. And he's just being nice to her here. Yeah. That night, Carla's closing up the bar and that leaves Diane as the last one in the building. That is until Sam and Janet walk in. And the reason they're there is because he's there to check on something Woody was supposed to do before closing. And Janet and Sam start making out. And this is tough because Diane sees it. And when the lights are out, Diane thinks she's going to like run out in the dark, but <laughs> like solid snake, she gets spotted. Mm-hmm. Well, she thinks she's going to get spotted and then sort of bails into an area underneath the bar where she's able to eavesdrop on the conversation that Janet and Sam have. I mean, she's lucky she had that cardboard box in her inventory because she gets under it and moves around and, right. and nobody notices. It's great. Those poor fools won't know what hit them. So this is the first scene where Diane kind of overhears a conversation that was meant to be had in private. And Mm -hmm. Janet is a little bit jealous of the fact that Diane is still around. She gets the whole backstory on what went down with Diane and Sam and says she's not really comfortable with Diane continuing to, to be employed at the bar. And then, like, she starts kind of just like doing classic political manipulation of Sam, but then Mm -hmm. is too good of a person to to do that to the man that she is dating and clearly like respects, despite the fact that they're sort of on different intellectual footing. I think the writing of this moment is so strong because I think it's so hard to bake out the ugliness of two characters conspiring against a third. A third that is like innocent and sweet and good in this way. But so much of the reasoning is loaded with like, Diane's great. Diane's smarter than this place and better than this place. And like, maybe it actually would be better for her if she went to greener pastures. And I think it's so important to load this moment up with all of the positives about Diane. Otherwise, it's an ugly scene of two people conspiring to ruin her life. Right. And like when Janet really presses Sam on whether he still has feelings for Diane, he he denies that he does, but you can kind of tell that 
He's more deceiving himself yeah. than her. Yeah, and God, Ted Danson is really great in this moment in particular as someone who's really tortured by the idea, but trying to not present a tortured face to the person he's attracted to. Yeah. You can see him working it out in this moment in in a way that really makes me appreciate his performance. This doesn't look easy at all. No. I also just wanted to talk in this whole sequence about composition because mm -hmm. a three-camera sitcom is not a form of media that is like noted for great compositions, but there are a number of really striking ones in this scene. There's like the scene when Diane comes back from the pool room and like looks through the kind of columns on the bar and the almost like a, in a picture frame, she sees Janet and Sam making out together. And then, you know, a big portion of the conversation between Janet and Sam happens like back behind the bar and Diane is like crouched in front of the bar so they can't see her, but you know, we see it all in, in one frame. They use the, this set that they have so well in this show and, and they shoot it so beautifully. And Shelley Long as a physical comedian is also very apparent here too. The way she controls her body in space to comedic effect is, is just really good. Yeah, she's super funny. But uh, we get a very sad fade out here as Janet departs. She admits that she is feeling some real insecurity about the situation with Sam and Diane working so closely given their history. And you get you get one of the great Captain Janeway moments here when she says, fire. <laughs> Her. Fire, Diane. <laughs> if I were you, I, I'd do it. Do it. Janeway out. They leave the bar uh, having agreed that uh, tomorrow will be the day, and we get a very sad fade out on Diane yeah. sitting down there. The next day at Cheers, Sam is obsessed with when Diane is going to report to work, and Carla is getting annoyed at being asked so often. This happens a lot in these three episodes. Like Carla, for being as abrasive as she is, is really seen as someone to ask advice from and of. Because even Sam is like, do you think Diane is is good here? And like <laughs> Carla and Diane have a antagonistic relationship. So you get all of the the jokey feedback that you'd expect from a moment like this. But it does demonstrate like the sort of rapport that Carla and Sam have and that, you know, Carla is comfortable enough to be honest with Sam about her concerns over his newfound monogamy, right? Oh, puke. What? <laughs> Will you cut it out? I mean, that is the sappiest junk I've ever heard. She, I mean, again, always rides for Sam, like, yeah. being a poon hound or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is the source of her fandom somehow. And, yeah, like, the idea of him being a one-woman man in, in, like, a pretty formal, buttoned-up relationship like this doesn't really work for her. Yeah. And and there's like a lot of interesting class stuff baked into this because Carla is very like of her position in the kind of cosmos of this show. And they're like debating both whether Sam and Janet are a good fit, given their kind of like being on opposite sides of the blue collar, white collar spectrum, mm -hmm. but also whether Diane is a good fit for working at the bar. Yeah. Because she is an educated and erudite person who clearly has talents that are like better suited to things not cocktail waitressing. Right. 
Exactly. So in walks Norm there to tell Cliff about the ongoing distress he's feeling about his wife's semi-nude sister hanging around his house all the time. And he just has no idea what to do about it. So that's just a reminder of what's going on with Norm. And in walks Diane. She's finally reported to work and she asks Woody for an envelope to put some papers in before walking into Sam's office. But Frazier's there in between her and the office door and Frazier becomes the first person that Diane tells about her plans to leave Cheers. And Frazier is right there with a the job offer that does not seem like it's his to offer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't really get the sense that Frazier has the guap to like bring on an employee right now. Yeah. Also. It's seen as, as like a compliment to Diane before she goes in. And in the office with Sam, Diane gives him the seven page resignation letter that she's drafted complete with lists and graphs (laughs) and this is a really charming scene that that like helped me get to know diane even more like this is a level of detail that i found really funny and a really chaotic scene for someone so organized because both of them go back and forth jousting about who's quitting and who's getting fired right based on on the mood of their argument and it goes from like you can't fire me i quit to i don't quit because i don't want to give you the like the satisfaction of of me quitting because you wanted to fire me it ends explosively and finally publicly with diane announcing her resignation from that stage the doorway of cheers and she she makes this announcement in a very dramatic self-important way promising to never be seen again and i think one of the funniest bits in these three episodes is saying goodbye and that she'd never come back and leaving her coat on the coat rack only for carla to like tilt the rack away from the door as she tries to reach in and get it again really fun it's such a understated weird joke that's just about like someone looking and being awkward and she like winds up like throwing the jacket over her face yeah. so that she can walk out in in utter shame it's really fun and that's like the end of the episode yeah yeah and what a great choice to Look, we can't end an episode with Diane and Sam having an explosive argument and Diane leaving. That's not how we end sitcoms now or really even recently. Like, we want things to end on on sort of a lighter note, and this is that note. Hey, look, everyone, it's Diane. (laughs) What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, Nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. 
They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. We got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options, and uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Next episode starts with a little recap of the past two that takes the form of Woody sending a tape home to his mom and dad because it's uh, faster than writing for him. So 
he's like speaking into a microphone and he's got a tape recorder in front of him and he's like telling his parents about all all of the wild hijinks around cheers lately apparently he's doing this on an untapable uh, tape of winston churchill speeches so great how delighted must his parents be to receive those <laughs> tapes in the mail yeah oh man Sounds like he's really, I mean, it's like the Nazi scourge sounds bad, but otherwise he sounds like he's really like come into his own as a speaker. We shall fight on the seas and the ocean. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. So after the theme, we get an update from Norm, still very twisted up about Vera's sister, Donna. Hot Donna. Being uh, fairly nude fairly often. And uh, Diane is back. I can't believe this. She promised never to return. Diane has come back and Carla calls her out on her bullshit about coming back so soon. Yeah. After promising to be gone forever. It's like you promised. She's there to talk to Sam once he finishes running lines with Janet about the press conference they're having at the bar later that day. Yeah. Upstairs at Melville's, Sam is is learning how to be a more polished public figure from his politician girlfriend. Great pull by you, that Melville's thing. That's the name of the seafood restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Melville's up there. That's great. I didn't remember it earlier, but I remembered it just now. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, the episode will be building toward this press conference in a bar, and uh, Diane's going to hang out. And there's a nice moment between her and Carla where Carla's like expressing some contrition over all of the different slams she's done to Diane over the years. She wants to keep a couple in play. <laughs> but uh, like overall, she's just like, hey, like, you know, we don't work together anymore. Like that. I hope, you know, that was all in good fun. It's a nice moment. And it feels like Diane's going to be fine. She's getting a new job as a as a checkout clerk at a grocery store. Yeah. I mean, so she's landed on her feet. Not really onwards and upwards for the like well-educated and talented person that they've been talking about her being like. Right. Which is like, a like, I think kind of continues that class theme in an interesting way. Like they're does seem to be a force in the world that is holding Diane in a particular kind of like socioeconomic place. And mm -hmm. she seems like more comfortable with it than a lot of other people are. Yeah. Her inner conflict is almost totally about Sam and not about her station in these three episodes. Yeah. I wonder if that's like because society gave so much less of a shit about women's careers back then. Yeah. Or if it's just character game or what. But like I, I always kind of like wondered about that, that they drew out all of these seasons of Diane working as a cocktail waitress and everybody around her talks about like, oh, she's like destined for great things. Like and she's always like, you know, putting on plays and talking about like fancy books that she's reading and stuff. And she doesn't seem to be unambitious, but also like her job never changes. An interesting road not traveled in these three episodes is Janet and Diane are in conflict over Sam, but part of their conflict is never like, why can't Diane be more like Janet in her right. ambitions? Even though it is very clear that they they could be equals in, in terms of intelligence or ambition if Diane chose to. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. Like uh, Diane doesn't run for office against Janet. She helps yeah. by volunteering against Janet. You know? I think a lesser show would have made the opposition more direct in that former way. Yeah. 
So she also really wants to apologize to Sam for eavesdropping on him. And uh, she doesn't really want to like stand around in the bar and keep getting japes thrown at her by all the people that watched her make that grand eloquent mm-hmm. speech about how they'd never see her again. So mm-hmm. she goes and kind of hides in the office. A call comes in for Norm from Donna to ask when he'll be home. And that's because she's got a dinner plan for them yeah. that becomes a great setup for some jokes that everyone can kind of participate in. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I guess Vera's like out of town looking after a sick relative or something. So Diane is like idling in Sam's office, like fucking around with his water guns and stuff. And Woody comes in and... um you know, he's like, hey, like they're right upstairs. Like, I, I'm sure like Sam would come down and like hear you out for a second if if that's what you're looking for. And she doesn't want to do that. She uh, she's just here to apologize and she's feeling terrible about the, the whole eavesdropping thing. And he's like, all right, well, I totally understand. They'll be in here eventually. And they come right in like like Woody leaves and Diane, like for some reason, hides under the desk. I guess because she wanted to have this conversation just with Sam and not with Sam and Janet. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of physicality that really works. And what she's able to overhear is a moment between Sam and Janet that feels fairly premature to our modern sensibilities. Like they haven't been going out that long, but Janet is is very much of the, are we going to be a long-term thing or not? Haven't you ever thought about you and me? Tying the knot. Oh, now you tell me you didn't go in for that kinky stuff. (laughs) You know, Sam hasn't, this isn't coming from him. He hasn't like really thought about it yet. So he is going to have to kind of get into a headspace over it. But I thought to his credit, he didn't like panic or get defensive or weird about it. Right. But this is all happening while Diane is like crouched under the desk overhearing it all. So it's just twisting the knife for her. Janet seems satisfied about having had the conversation, even though there's not like a decision being made by Sam, you know? And so she fucks off and Woody walks back in and doesn't do a great job covering up that Diane was just in there a moment ago. (laughs) Like, I think that there's always like you, you have to remember like Woody is dumb, but Sam is also very dumb. Yeah. Yeah. And that really works in this scene together. (laughs) (laughs) like Woody's dumber but Sam is dumb I love that this scene gives Woody some power because when Sam leaves Woody confronts Diane about her addiction to eavesdropping and the the tag about Diane asking Woody to know when Sam goes to the restroom is really well put (laughs) it's great oh god it's worse than I am (laughs) so the press conference kicks off and uh, this is where we find out about the pro mass transit platform that this old money conservative is uh, operating from. She's got my vote. (laughs) This is going great in the press. And Diane has showed up uh, in a dress, which I'm not sure like how she like managed to change, but uh, she's in a whole new Luke and uh, the press conference kicks off. The questions start pretty standard, you know, like a serious policy question that become more and more jokey. Yeah. There's a jocularity between Janet and the press pool here. There's a really cozy relationship between the politicians and the fourth estate that sort of makes you question whether the politicians are really being held to account, you know? 
Yeah, indeed. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought this was America. <laughs> there's a fun moment where there's a, a softball Red Sox question that Janet permits Sam to answer. And Sam fucking fumbles this big time. Yeah. To use a, a football term for a baseball player, he fucking sucks <laughs> at answering this question. And Janet tries to get him off the hook. But as soon as she does, that's when Diane comes in. She swoops in and asks her own question and begins this ball rolling about their relationship and their plans for the future. And this short circuits the entire thing. The shit or get off the Eldritch pot thing that they were talking about in the office is now right out in front of the press and it's Diane's doing. Yeah. And she loves this. Yeah. She relishes these questions and what's going on. Is Sam going to grow up? Is Sam going to be the adult that Janet needs him to be? Or is he going to go back to being the, you know, lady killer, carousing bartender that his character has been established as? All of the faces they make at each other seem to lead to a answer to that question, which is no, he is not ready to be an adult. And neither <laughs> is Diane, really. Right. This devolves into sort of a troubling mimicry of a mass shooting when Diane pulls out a water gun and starts blasting away at Sam. My head didn't even go there, but yeah, yeah, you're right. It was like, yikes. <laughs> This is played differently when this episode came out, I'm sure. Great bit of physical comedy when Sam escorts Diane out. Diane closes the door on his tie and then pulls the tie up <laughs> in an effort to choke him. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. And he has like that high voice of someone who, who has something tight around their neck. Yeah. Um, I, I believe the uh, gentleman from the Globe had a, had a question. The press conference does not go well, Enterprise. No. What could have been a nice, easy uh, situation between Janet and the press turned into something of a political embarrassment. Yeah. Yeah. And Janet's got to clean up the mess the next day. Something she does in Sam's office. And when she's done, she comes out to kind of post game it with Sam and... Sam thinks that their bad time might be over and they could get past what happened at the press conference. But Janet really emphasizes that this is a moment in his life where he really needs to make a decision about being a committed person or right. not. And that to her, that is a big part about being an adult. You're trying to leave every option open and you just can't do that. You have to make some choices and some commitments. It's called growing up. In worse hands for dialogue, Janet would just yell, grow up at Sam. Yeah. But the way she articulates it really makes a lot of sense, that adulthood is about the commitments you make to other people in all kinds of ways. And maybe Sam isn't ready for that. I really love Kate Mulgrew's performance in this whole arc because when she is being public politician person, she's so slick and so polished. But then when you get little private moments with her, like that doesn't all the way fall away. But she will let some little vulnerabilities come out. And her big lament across this episode is like, how did I fall so madly in love with somebody who is so antithetical to the career advancement? That, like, like, just the way Sam is, is fucking her job up royally. And Yeah, the way she depicts her own frustration at 
like this is a feeling that that everyone has had the like i cannot believe i'm attracted to this person who is so clearly like not a great fit you know <laughs> yeah and the growth is going to have to come from his quarter because that's the sort of like you must be t- this tall to ride this ride of i'm not growing up any more than this it's up to you <laughs> sam i'm already 100% grown up if you want to meet me in the middle at 75% Good fucking luck. (laughs) Yeah. That night, Sam tells Woody and Carla to just knock off before cleaning up the bar. And this would drive me crazy. You got to clean up. You got to do your closing before leaving. Was he offering to do it for them? I thought they were all just going to leave. Oh. And do it in the morning. Yeah. These glasses are half full. (laughs) You're going to have fruit flies in every bottle of liquor. You're going to have to throw them all out. (laughs) Woody is all too happy to leave, and that leaves Sam and Carla alone. And Sam confides in Carla that he feels like he screwed up his life by being the sort of person that doesn't commit to anyone or anything, and that maybe it is time to settle down, like Janet says. And Carla is really sweet to him in this scene. She's really sweet on the idea of him dating large-breasted women. (laughs) Yeah, but in that way that Carla often is, she's like, look, you're going to know when it's time for you to do that when you know that it's time for you to do that. And until then, chase those fucking melons, baby. Yeah. Enjoy. And that leaves him alone in Cheers. And when Sam turns out the lights... Yeah, it's Sam alone, isn't it? (laughs) And he makes a mayday call. He sure does. What a cliffhanger this is. He picks up the phone and he dials someone and he proposes marriage to the person he's talking to. That's it. Who's it going to be? <laughs> I'll admit I uh, went forward an episode and saw that uh, he had proposed to Diane. Yeah. He called, it, <laughs> he called her up on the phone and proposed marriage. Yeah, that's not how you do that, Sam. Yeah. But that's very in keeping with Sam's level of maturity, I think. That's fair. Yeah. Did you like this three-episode arc of Cheers? I really did, and I was delighted at how great and interesting a performance Kate Mulgrew's Janet character was. She's really, like, third billing in this episode, and she's fun and funny and quick, and I don't know, like, if you are the Star Trek industrial complex and you're auditioning captain figures Mm -hmm. i feel like this is a cassette you put into the tape player and you run it in the room and and i think you can see real captainly qualities in janet this is game tape on what kate mulgrew can do with a captain role and yeah do with a captain role that dabbles in the romantic more so than yeah they had a lot previously She is a powerful person working with other powerful people and also subordinate. So you kind of get her relationship with a lot of different types of people in a way that you need. Like if you're just imagining Janet as a starship captain, it kind of plays. She's never like unnecessarily cruel. Like she could fucking step on Diane's neck verbally and she never does. She's happy enough to quit with her. And I think that demonstrates like the sort of qualities you need as a captain. She's super even in these three episodes. And like Cheers itself is 
there's nothing I could say about Cheers that hasn't already been said. It's it's like one of the great shows, and I love all of the different archetypes you get, you know, for characters. I like how real all of the actors look. Like they've got just real faces yeah. that are interesting and and beautiful. And I think finally, like I was just reminded about the pace of comedy in the 80s where the pace of jokes is fast, but it's not so fast and predictable. Like not every bit of dialogue is a setup. Like there is a little bit of non-jokey information being shared. And I love how in front of a live studio audience, you don't get that really overheated laugh track that you'd get in like Friends. I find Friends totally unwatchable because of that laugh track. It's just so fucking omnipresent. Yeah, and it, there's like such compression on it that it's like yeah. it it almost like doesn't even read as laughter. It's just like noise. Yeah, and and that is a show that I think is emblematic of like no dialogue isn't something setting up a joke. And I feel like in this show there's like a really comfortable pace to it that I found really charming. And yeah, I really like the experience of seeing three Fs. There's there's too much Cheers to watch. I'm not going to promise I'm going to like get back into Cheers or anything as a project, uh-huh. but it was nice to visit. Yeah. There's like almost 300 episodes of Cheers, I think. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> but great fun. What about you, Ben? Yeah, I thought this was awesome. It's very cool to see something from this era that is like, you know, there's like a couple parts that are like regrettably, you know, kind of conservative in their outlook on the world. And those uh, are never fun when you're watching an old show. But overall, just like the jokes fucking hit. Like the jokes, the joke writing on Cheers is unimpeachable. Yeah. Overall, like I had several laugh out loud moments in every single one Me of too. these episodes. And they're just like, sometimes you're thinking a joke is going to have one punchline and they thought ahead and did a different punchline. They're, they're just such fucking funny jokes. Yeah, it's like a pitcher with a bunch of different arm angles to throw the ball. Like you can feel a setup happening, but the punchline is often not something that you can predict. It's it's a really tight and well-written show. And I'm familiar with Ted Danson mostly from Curb. Mm. <laughs> and so it's fun to see a youthful Ted Danson with like that giant fucking helmet of hair. Yeah. And like I don't know. The styles of the time were were charming and interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, what a fun experience this was. Good recommendation. I had a lot of fun. I also always have a lot of fun in the priority one inbox, Adam. Why don't we go in there and check that out? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Going to see if there's any 80s hair in our first priority one message, Ben. It's of a promotional nature. That message goes like this. Are you a person who recognized that whenever Ben and Adam talk about Jazz Horse, they play the stable music from Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild? If you said yes, or if not, then come (laughs) give a listen to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. A pod that will play all Zelda games everywhere. Wow. If listening to two nerds talk about Zelda while they have quippy, brotherly banter sounds like fun, come over and join us. Play through Zelda games one little slice at a time. So this is an advertisement for a podcast called Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast, and you can get that wherever you get your pod. 
This is from Matt and Lyndon Willoughby. Dang, that sounds great. I really love the Zelda franchise. It's it's like one of my all-time video game faves. I have a very beloved memory. When I was a teenager, I had a I had surgery, like an abdominal surgery, and I couldn't really move after it. And my best friend brought his N64 over with Ocarina of Time, and we like opened the box of Ocarina of Time and like played through the whole thing together. Yeah. yeah. Like passing the controller back and forth and it's just like one of the greatest video game experiences I've ever had, and Zelda will always be in my heart for, for that reason. While you were telling me that story, I was kind of seeing it in my head, and like the moment that I saw in my imagination was you passing the controller to someone who wasn't there. <laughs> he just left. Uh, all right. Just, there was no friend, and it was Ben playing video games alone. <laughs> I, I was like Tyler Durdening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've met my friend that that I played that game with. I have. I have. I think the degree of difficulty of doing a video game podcast seems pretty high to me. And so I always have a a lot of respect for those that go into this territory. And Zelda as a franchise is so beloved to, you know, people our age. Like, that is a, a really special franchise. So check out Sacred Realms. A Zelda retrospective podcast. Sounds great. Yeah. Adam, our next priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from the STA USS Dauntless crew. Captain Kellyan, Jeff. Zala, Ruth Anastasia. Tamu, Joe. Tior, Anzel. And Dr. Latha, Ramon LP4. Hmm. And it's to official Starfleet communique from Captain Kellyan to Admiral Harrison and Ensign Pranica. <laughs> I forgot you were Ensign Franica. Uh-huh. It goes like this. Thanks for visiting. And apologies for your airlock mishap. Kasav is working through some issues. The Lilifus and Orion Outpost missions were successful, but now Iotians have come to take Ensign Ricky back to his planet, where he's known as Lil Geppo for an arranged marriage. Can you send those wink-wink Starfleet marriage records for Ricky and Chief Penn? Oh, this is totally impenetrable. I feel like yeah. uh, this is this is not a message for us. This is uh, sounds like a series of uh, situations from a role playing game are being referenced here. And since we don't actually play this role playing game with them, we don't know what's going on. But uh, sounds like we got blown out an airlock, so dream yeah. come true. And a game played by a bunch of familiar FODs. Yeah. Hey, gang. Thanks for getting a P one. Sorry we didn't uh, get it onto Picard Season 3, but hopefully you're all Cheers fans also. Is there a Cheers RPG? (laughs) It feels like something that Brandon Bird would have made into pop art, like like as a video game cartridge or something. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Cliff Clavin is the chaotic neutral. (laughs) Yeah. Postal carrier. That's big fun. Well, if you'd like to get a P1 on the show, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. And set one up today. I see like the next couple of weeks are taken, but you might be able to get one in during spring break or line one up for Strange New Worlds still. Yeah, get in there. Strange New Worlds coming right up. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin! 
Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it's Carla for doing that coat rack bit. Yeah. That was like, of the times I laughed in these three episodes, that was a really big pop out of me. Uh, she's great. That was what I wrote down as well. And it's not just the bit, it's also like what Rhea Perlman does yeah. like with her face while she's doing it. Like she is clearly like looking back out at the bar going like, isn't this fucking great on yeah. her face? And yeah. <laughs> It's so funny. That's what makes that location so great for performance like this. Yeah. Like it's as if they are doing comedy at a crowd that is beneath them off stage. I love it. I love it. It's great. Yeah. Strange Bedfellows in the books. Yeah. What's coming up next, Adam? Ben, next week on Greatest Trek Spring Break, we've created a reason to do an episode <laughs> about Bar Rescue. And it's not as... Tenuous as a reason as you may think. Uh, Alexander Siddig is in this episode of Bar Rescue. Doctor, please. And I'm really excited to go to there with you, Ben. Yeah. It's season four, episode 24 of Bar Rescue. A weird coincidence Yeah, with uh, the episode we just reviewed. But um, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about John Taffer's big jackets and see what he is like around a super prestigious and fancy man like Alexander Siddick. <laughs> I hope we're recording that episode as a single because I imagine our throats are just going to be fucking shredded at the end of that. <laughs> I'm going to be drinking hot tea during that episode. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be good stuff. Yeah. I can't wait. Well, that'll be next week right here on Greatest Trek. Before we go, we got to do a warning blah, Adam. Yeah, we sure do. Why do we do these, Ben? Well, we feel like this is a show that would appeal to a lot of people that don't know about it yet, but it also would not appeal to a lot of people <laughs> that don't know about it yet. So we ask people to post about the show in a way that kind of uh, indicates the kind of vibe around here. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Boy, this... Warning boy I've got here, Ben, is almost the perfect articulation of that theme. Got an Apple podcast review, a five-star review. All right. Those are the ones that help. Subject line, rather Moorish. <laughs> it's from Embarrassed in Cape Town. Okay. Greatest Generation. That's our hit Star Trek podcast. Engage. And that review goes like this. Having missed the original broadcast and wondered what the fuss was about, I've been alternating between TNG episodes on Netflix and The Greatest Generation for a few weeks now, starting all the way back in season one, episode one. Adam and Benjamin have me giggling out loud in the shopping aisle and seeing the series in a new light. Highly recommended if you have an offbeat sense of humor and don't mind general goofing around. This is not for the hardcore Trekkie. <laughs> I guess it isn't. I think we covered a lot of ground with that review. I think there are hardcore Trekkies that enjoy our thing. Absolutely, yeah. But they have to be, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be away. Yeah, you, know? you have to be our way Yeah. about it. Because I think we're hardcore Trekkies. I identify as a hardcore Trekkie. Yeah, yeah, sure do. Yeah. I've been outed as a hardcore Trekkie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I accept all sci-fi franchises equally. Hmm. Yeah, not me. I definitely have my favorites. I'm uh, a very ecumenical, and I cannot stand those Transformers exclusionary radical fanboys. Yeah. 
<laughs> Can't do that. Way to take a stand on that one, Ben. Yeah. It's like I'm I'm taking the kind of political stand that they took in this episode of Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> well put. So we should probably toss the keys to uh, to Wendy. After tossing her another bag of episode overstuffed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, just a peek behind the curtain. We had some bad internet snafus on this one. So Wendy's really got a uh, kind of annoying edit ahead of her. And we really apologize to her for that. But uh, it's a great reminder of what lucky broadcasters we are to be working with a talented producer and editor like Wendy. Yeah. And uh, what lucky listeners the Friends of DeSoto are to have our bullshit cleaned up by somebody so talented. If you have a moment to spare something nice in the reviews for this show, uh, take another moment to make sure you share something nice about Wendy, who has uh, really done great work in her time with us. With that, we'll be back at you next week with another great episode of Greatest Trek. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next week on Friday, it's Bar Rescue. You can find that episode on Paramount+. Plus. It's called Broke Down Palace. Thank you to Adam Ragusia for composing all of the original music on this show. He has a podcast and a YouTube cooking channel that we highly recommend. Just search for Adam Ragusia. Thank you to Nick Ditmore for creating the show art and Bill Tilly for managing the At Greatest Trek social media pages. Those are on Instagram, Twitter, and Mastodon. And you can follow those accounts to stay up to date. Use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. And those five-star reviews coming in have been so nice to see. Thank you for writing those up or even just recommending the show to someone that you know. It all really helps. If you're interested in getting access to the bonus content available to supporters, it's easy to set up a membership at MaximumFun.org slash join. And we really appreciate you investing in the future of the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. You didn't hear any of that, huh? No. <laughs> okay. You're, you disappeared. <laughs> uh, you were there, but I think I mistook you being frozen for just being still. Not caring about your, your joke. Yeah. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.